Aussies love discovering new restaurants, and Open Table is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform, with more than 1 million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guests booking on Open Table spend 49% more than walk ins. Open Table's world class table management technology ensures your seats are optimized front of house to seat more diners, saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. Open Table's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local Open Table restaurant expert to learn more. Open Table, empowering restaurants to do what they do best, better. Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We are straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, with today's podcast, the portfolio of venues of Kick-On Group spreads far and wide, from Melbourne CBD, Melbourne's inner city, regional Victoria, regional New South Wales, Sydney, Brisbane, and the Gold Coast. With such iconic venues as Terminus Hotel in Fitzroy North, the Plough Inn in Southbank, and the new landmark venue, the Continental in Sorrento, which is a collaboration with Scott Pickett, it is obvious that the group will continue to grow with quality venues moving forward. The goal of the group is to create an environment in which the people feel proud and inspired to deliver amazing hospitality experiences. So I feel really great to unpack that with the CEO of Kikilm Group, Duncan Thompson. Hey, Duncan, how are you? Good, thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolute pleasure. And you really do have one of the most cracking restaurant groups or venue groups, I should say, in Australia at the moment. So it's great to have a conversation with you at this stage of the development of the brand and, and thinking about how you guys are going to move forward. So I want to talk about that, obviously, in today's podcast, because I know a lot of people will learn a lot about how they're going to grow their brands. Sure. But let's talk about how you started out in the industry and, and how it came to be that you started to be with Kick On. Yeah, of course. Well, um, obviously, like many people, finish school, look for a casual bar job, start working behind the bar, and then love the the bar lifestyle uh, during work and, and afterwards. And sort of grew, grew from there. I started in Canberra and then got relocated down to, to Melbourne, started through uh, larger hotels like Ridges and got into some sort of night nightlife, the old Bobby McGee's back in the day that oh, nice. uh, people won't remember. <laughs> and... Um, and then sort of progressed through the, the usual management channels and did lots of different things. I was quite conscious when you sort of took on my first kind of full-time manager role to start thinking about trying to make sure I had a you know diverse background so I didn't want to just get pigeonholed in cocktail bars or mm. pubs or clubs or restaurants. And So intentionally sort of moved my way around, which was good. Did a lot of large precinct stuff, things like the Art Centre and uh, Melbourne Racing Club with the, with the race courses, which was good to sort of see that kind of scale. And then the story with uh, getting involved in Kick-On is quite interesting because I was with um, the Stella Group, which was the first um, company that bought the Continental site. And sadly, they were one of those um, property development companies that, that went under. So yeah, right. during that time, I'd fallen in love with the building, 
know, the history and the importance of it to the community and it was pretty sad to sort of have to walk away from that. And mm. then then obviously the new consortium came in with, with Craig Shearer and yeah, there, was a, there was a conversation meeting and the, and the marketing manager who I was originally trying to poach to uh, come and do it for me, he rang me and said, oh, guess where I am? And he was, you know, I'm now marketing the, the Conti. So, you know, long story short, history um, intertwined and, uh, you know, Craig and I then caught up and had a bit of a chat and really about kind of just fleshing out ideas of, of the project and the and the Conti as a, as a building. But then he sort of said, look, I've got a bigger idea that you might be interested in. And then, um, you know, out came the the opportunity to sort of come on board as the CEO of Kick On Group and, you know, and, and merge the existing venues with a with a pretty sort of aggressive uh, growth pipeline. Yeah, because obviously the venues are really different. I mean, the Terminus was one of the one of the venues I went to a lot when I first started living in Melbourne sort of seven or eight years ago Yeah, and really just loved it. Like it just felt like a Melbourne venue. And obviously the Plough Inn uh, in Brisbane, when I lived in Brisbane, like I used to go there all the time because I used to live in South Bank. I used to work in South Bank and live down the road. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of sort of connection sort of here today. But then you have something like the Continental, which is obviously, you know, a next level venue, like it's a lot a lot bigger than a lot of the other venues, obviously. You've got Scott Pickett as part of that. Is that the sort of trajectory that you think you guys want to move forward with, those kind of level of venues? Or is it going to be this blend of really iconic venues and then bigger sort of establishments, do you think? Yeah, no, it's a good question. We we, we really like the idea of diversity mm. um, because we feel our passion for the industry and, and as you've stated at the front, our, our purpose is to create the environment where our people feel proud and inspired to deliver amazing experiences. So that amazing experiences is, is sort of how we look at uh, ventures and, and venues. So we sort of see it as probably falling into three three elements to our portfolio. There'll be the kind of landmark, greenfield, iconic development sites like the Continental. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the kind of core, which is those iconic, great pubs, like the Plough, the Terminus, that are just, you know, you go in there, great consistency, great atmosphere, great service, um, and just everything that you want from a really good pub. Mm-hmm. And then there's other ones like um, the Collective uh, in Palm Beach where we kind of see those as more businesses that might be kind of scalable, where they're a little bit more kind of restaurant food-driven that we might be able to then build multiple of those brands. Mm-hmm. And we like the idea of that diversity because it just means that, I guess, you know, the, the term keeping it sharp might be a bit cheesy, but it means that each business has its own challenge. And although mm. we have our operational governance that so we kind of have a, a well-structured process of how we manage each business, but each business has its own unique identity. So it's not necessarily a case of just taking our business model and applying it to any site. Mm. It's really kind of getting an idea of what the site is falling in love with a building, you know, whether it be heritage listed or location and then kind of working the concept back from there. Yeah. Does it, do you think it makes you more agile as well, I'd imagine? Because then you've got, you know, you've got venues in different states, which makes you, you know, think about the market um, holistically a bit more. Um, but then obviously different types of venues allow different flexibility, I'd imagine, as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, the quality food is really big for us mm-hmm. uh, and we're having a really great um, – executive chef Jake First on board and a really good team underneath him. So we really feel that, you know, great food and creative food is the core because that's going to build a sustainable business. Mm. Um, you know, we've sort of shied away from a couple of projects that might be high beverage kind of hottest um, ticket in town for six months and they kind of fade away. We sort of want to build those businesses that have that um, legacy. Mm. So, yeah, it is good when you can look at it and go, some might be, you know, really restaurant-driven, um, 
Others might be just more your, your classic pub, but then you've got things like the Continental where you've sort of got, you know, four or five different levels of, of offer that you've got to work through. Mm. Um, so, we, yeah, we certainly like that because it means you, you do have to have a, a strong focus on attention to detail and be able to kind of move in and out of the detail as opposed to just sort of sit back and just review multiple P&Ls and, mm. yeah. Yeah, and make it all the same. Yeah. <laughs> The thing I noticed about when we were talking about having this conversation is that Kikon Group is a very, very much a values-driven, you know, organisation. Um, how, with yourself at the at the top there, and and obviously with the leadership team, how are you actually ingraining that into the greater team, especially in an environment now where you have a lot probably younger staff who are working in clubs pubs, clubs, hotels that maybe would have happened 20 years ago, like a lot of 18 and 19-year-olds are now working in that industry. How do you now bring in leadership into that team? Yeah, well, it's, it's something we're very passionate about um, and probably something, it might sound a bit dumb to say, but something that we're quite thankful for COVID for mm. because when we're sort of in shutdown, we spent a lot of time uh, above the terminus with a big whiteboard, a couple of pens and a few beers just talking through what we each value, what we want to do, you know, when this sort of is over, uh, how mm. we want to position ourselves. So a lot of that came down to us personally, what we want to achieve as leaders of the company and what we would like to pass on. And, you know, we all really resonated with the fact that our people, without doubt, have got to be the most important part of our business. And, and so therefore, so what can we do to prove that? Because it's often something that companies will spruik mm-hmm. and then nothing happens. So yep. We thought, okay, well, we need to have a set of values, a set of beliefs. So as a result, we built a structure around what our vision is, what our purpose is. We have a philosophy and then um, some values, four values. Mm-hmm. And the way we kind of implement that is um, obviously it's, it is a strategic document, and but we were very conscious that make sure it's not just the strategic document that you write, put a poster on the wall, and then it sits in the drawer and, you know, you're, you review it in 12 months' time. <laughs> yes. So for us, it's very much around the vocabulary. We, we had try to educate our people to go just talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. So you're not preaching to them like we're a, a church leader. Like preach, yeah, preaching yeah, from a Evangelicals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, um, yeah. You know, the, the staff are just like, whoa. But mm. um, finding words that actually mean something and then and then words that, that have a, a structure to them that, that flows within into our businesses. Mm. So we use that in terms of recruitment, Growth plans, uh, people plans. Are these people living our purpose? Do they are they showing the, the values as what we're trying to achieve? And that's sort of how we create a lot of our, our decision making. So we really quite focus about actions have to be the key part. So it's well and good to have all that structure of vision, purpose, values, but we've actually got to live it and breathe it. So, mm. what challenges have you had around that? Because you you are right. Like there's to have that values conversation with new people coming into the business can be a bit tricky because they might have heard that from other businesses but been let let down or, or fallen a bit short right and it's it's a hard time as a hospitality operator right now to actually live and breathe values all the time because you're short-staffed you've got people who haven't been in role as long as they used to be and, and like haven't got that you're trying to breed in that empathetic nature into people and all that kind of stuff as well like is it is it a case of talking about it in you know stand-up meetings that you have all the time about the values of the brand and just and just gets reiterated 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 all the time yeah no it's 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 it is a very challenging thing to do but but we felt 
if you go back to the the initial part is finding a set of values, finding a, a purpose where every word actually means something to us. So it's not just a, a cheesy slogan. Um, so therefore, when you sit down with people, you can talk about um, how the values work within the business and most importantly, how it's going to benefit the employee. Mm. And then our responsibility is to make sure we put action behind that. So if a staff member says, oh, I'm not feeling valued, mm-hmm. then we need to sit down, have a conversation with them, find out why, and then after that meeting, make sure that we action the feedback, which we feel is, um, you know, just getting things done behind the scenes without necessarily putting a spotlight on it and banging our chest and go, look how amazing we are, I just made this person feel really valued. But all of a sudden they come back to work the next day and the feedback that they provide us just has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we kind of feel that as that real positive momentum of kind of living and breathing the purpose without being too cheesy mm-hmm. about it and just mm-hmm. actually making it a general general cultural focus for, for everybody. And having that focus around values and as well, like has that made you think about differently about what kind of venues you're going to acquire or what kind of venues you're actually going to roll out into the future? Is that values as part of that decision-making now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then when we bring on the new staff, if we do have an acquisition, then a lot of it is around talking about our values and why they're important to us. You know, the why is a big thing. Mm. It can be a bit, um, okay, the new guys are coming in, the new owners have bought um, – of course, the staff are going to question how it's going to impact me. Well, we've got to yep. sit down and have the conversation with them. Mm. And I think for us, we, you know, it really is about making sure that they understand and we show them through our actions and our metrics why our staff are our number one priority. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our traffic lights, we call them as staff's number one, customer's number two, and finance number three. So we figure if we get staff and customer right, the bank will sort itself out. So we often say, you know, what's right for our people, what's right right for our customers, right mm. for the bank. Because mm. there's, there's enough of us in head office that can work a P&L. We don't need the venue teams really worrying too much about that. Of course, there's the, you know, the professional governance that goes with running a business. But mm. if we get our people right, make sure that they're really inspired and proud and engaged in, in what we're trying to achieve as a group and more importantly, what the venue they work in is trying to achieve. Mm. And then at that the end of our purpose about delivering amazing experience we go just deliver amazing experience yeah and the exactly. customers will love it and they'll come back and sometimes it's just sort of simplifying it a little bit mm. and then hopefully they, the staff will say oh i get it you know these values this purpose makes sense it's quite simple and they're supporting me to to do it mm. um, has it been if you look back on your career and you think about you working in canberra um at the start of your career like you said at the start of the podcast thinking about a, a staff member first rather than a customer first mentality. Like I remember when I started my career, like it was always about customer first. That's all we talked about. And then it was staff. When did that shift happen for you that it probably changed in that paradigm? Probably I wouldn't say I was a, a, a rebel or a renegade in any way, but a lot of those companies, the bigger companies I work for, exactly like you said, were very preachy about customers always right mm. you know uh, some might be about uh, our key focus is about maximum returns for our shareholders and that sort of stuff and i used to always think hang on isn't it shouldn't it be the staff should be the most important mm. you know it's sort of that thing about teamwork well sometimes you still need to strive to be a great individual within a team because that lifts up the team that we can sort of sit back and go as long as the customer's happy everything's fine yeah but if mm. you've got massive staff turnover your staff aren't going to give genuine service. So I wouldn't say 
Well, I guess I questioned it throughout my career. Yeah, interesting. About because it was more around how that made me feel. And mm. I would think, you know, if, if I felt more engaged or more supported by some of the leaders that uh, I'd worked for, you go home and go, I probably could have given an extra ten or twenty percent. And we we often talk about it's the it's the things they do when you're not watching them that mm. shows you how engaged they are. Yes. You know, the staff that are genuinely engaged, they do lots of stuff behind the scenes, they're genuinely passionate. We're not saying we want them to work 100 hours a week, but Mm. they just show enthusiasm and initiative and that's when you think, oh, okay, we've got something here. Whereas if all you do is preach customer, 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 then I think the staff will clock on and clock off Um, and you sort of lose a little bit of that soul. Mm. I think comes with that real genuine, as you said before, empathetic service that I think really resonates with, with customers, especially now after everything we've gone through. Yeah. Has it, has it been a change in your mind shifts as well? Like I remember when I started my career, like working more was the way to show – working more hours was the way to show that you were committed to the brand and you actually wanted to move forward yeah. with – now with today's, you know, millennial worker, um, they want to have this real blend of like working really hard when they're working and then being completely off when they're not working most of the time. Yeah. Um, although they're still impassioned, right? Like had, has that been any kind of mind shift that you've needed to change as a, as a sort of leader of the business? Yeah, look, it's it has because same same with you. Always, mm. you know, if you don't do eighty hours a week, you're not doing your job. And absolutely, uh, you know, that was sort of the rite of passage in a way for mm. to become a manager back in back in our day. Not, yep. s- not saying we're too old. But <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, getting there. <laughs> but um, I think as you get older, wiser, maybe see more stuff, you start to realise that's actually not a smart way of looking at it. Mm. You know, it's actually better come in and do the right amount of hours go home, rest, clear your mind, come back the next day refreshed, invigorated, you know, and deliver, you know, um, a, a great job mm. as opposed to just grinding. Like I think those terms are dissipating, you know, we're, we're, we're smashing it out today or we're grinding, we're grinding. We look at that and go, that's not, that's not good terminology. Like yeah, that's a good point. You know, well, well prepared, smooth, you know, execute sharp, it's those sort of words I think we're trying to shift as opposed to let's not smash it out because that sort of has this sense of things are a little bit out of control or mm. grinding kind of feels like it's a bit of a drain and it's, um, you know, as opposed to where's the enthusiasm or where's the, where's the passion? Come in and do six hours of awesomeness mm. and go as yeah. opposed to 10 hours of average. Um, I mean, it, I think it's shifted all businesses because everyone's got to be a lot more diligent on the on the labour cost and how we, how we manage our rosters. But I also think it's a good thing because it shows that we're actually – Treating people the way they probably should have been treated a while ago, but yeah, which is which is obviously the most important thing. I think the other interesting thing to come out of it is the fact that, as an industry, we actually have more sus- more sustainable venues, so that when you guys go and purchase and acquire another venue, you can actually look at a P and L and know like the wages line is actually correct. correct. Yeah, you can't be thinking, oh well, every single manager in that business is working 60, 65 hours a week, so they're instead of a thirty eight or a forty five hour week, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it. Actually, creates a more sustainable industry, I think, in a way. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- mm. I mean, yeah, you know, the challenge now is obviously to, to rebuild it and make it attractive for the younger people, so they see that you know you are going to get paid correctly. It's a good work environment. You're mm. going to be supported. There's career growth and development. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you're absolutely right. I think mm. there's a lot more confidence when you, especially when you're looking at acquisitions, to know that the, the P and Ls are accurate. There's not a another 25% of cost that <laughs> sits there or, or, or another 20, 20% of revenue that's not accounted for. But Yeah, good point. I want to talk about how you split your time as CEO. Obviously, I mentioned at the start, you know, you've got uh, venues in three different states right now. 
uh, and obviously a multitude of different formats uh, with inside those venues. How are you splitting your time in between the whole group? Because a lot, I think a lot of people who run multi-unit venues as listeners of podcasts would learn a lot from what you're about to say, I think. Yeah, um, putting me on the spot. Now. <laughs> I was about to answer it by saying, well, if you know the answer, let me know. <laughs> How do you try to anyway? Yeah. Look, it's always a challenge because I think – um, the more responsibility you've got, it's natural as if you come up as an operator, you you sort of naturally default into the operations and you mm-hmm. you get you want to get into the detail, you want to get into the venues and it takes a bit of discipline to sort of pull yourself back. And we've got a great leadership coach that we work with that, that we, we have some one-on-one sessions and group sessions with and he's been quite, quite good to challenge us to say, well, actually, if you want to be a true leader, it really comes down to, you know, you're thinking – is sometimes the most important part mm. uh, to go back to what I was saying before. It's not about getting in the venue and clearing tables for 80 hours a week and showing you yeah, I'm a hands-on manager and then all of a sudden there's no future direction, no strategic growth, which is sort of the, the responsibility. So I, um, my focus or my KPIs really is around you know, making sure that the group achieves our what we call our horizon goals and make sure that our three metrics, you know, our people and our customer and our, our finance are, are in play. We set up our company to have different pillars, so um, and then each of the other directors of, is responsible for a pillar, and then my job is to make sure each of the pillars are kind of talking to each other. So it's a nice mm-hmm. collaborative way that's not too autocratic or you know the org chart's not sort of ruled ruled by above. It's a very much a, a team focus. Mm. Um, big focus for us at the moment with growth is around communication, making sure that how do we streamline a message that I might give within our senior leadership team and other directors, how do we get that all the way through to our casuals? Mm. Um, and that's looking at different technology platforms and, and the like. So I probably I try to spend a bit of time within each each venue um, and then we have our head office space and then probably travel travel once a month. And But look, up, I'm still working that out uh, about what's best because you, know, you sort of sometimes you feel like you go into the venue because you want to show them support, but then on the other hand... Sometimes the venue goes, can you just let me do what I need to do? Yeah, they get worried. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden there's 20 mm. head office people running around and mm-hmm. it actually kind of sucks away resource that should be applied to, to our venue. So we try and keep a pretty lean head office structure for that reason and put more of the resources and investment back into the venue and probably accountability for our venue managers. So, you know, you run the business like you own it. We're here to support you. We're not here to come in and, you know, tell you what you should or shouldn't do. We're here to say, okay, where are your challenges? Mm. How can we help? How can we develop them then and then ultimately get them there and then make sure that we reward them, put the spotlight on them about they're the ones that, that have achieved it. So, yeah, there's no, there's no real real set formula for it. I'm probably travelling uh, once a month and a lot of it is about trying to just stay informed as possible and, and keep an eye on how we can gradually develop and grow our people as first and foremost. Yep. Uh, track our customer experience and that's a little bit of looking at you know future trends, trying to identify the shifts that we might need to get ahead of, whether it be technology or different um, service procedures, and then obviously you know, physical growth and acquisition is, is important. Is it, is it hard with the technology stack to actually look at what's going to be important for the brand? Because one of the things I've had as a, as a sort of anecdotal comment when I'm talking to either on the podcast or people that I advise and, and, and that kind of thing in the industry is they're getting uh, technology fatigue. So we've gone from three years ago having not much tech outside of a point of sale system inside a hospitality venue to now having a plethora of different opportunity 
that we can use in technology? Is it, is it hard as a group as you're growing through this through this stage to actually think about tech and how that's going to support the business? Yeah, it is because there's so much of it. Yes. <laughs> like you said, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's always a different platform that's the solution. Um, yes, and point. I'm sure they're all great. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I've sat in some meetings with them and you look at it and you think, wow, this could be the silver bullet that solves all our problems. Mm. And then you come out of the meeting and you go, how on earth am I going to integrate that with all the systems that we've got? And yeah, your head starts to spin. And I think that's when the IT guys, you know, happy days, come in, spin. Here's, here's my consultancy <laughs> fee. <laughs> um, yes. So I think that, you know, and, and so much of it can be good. Um, but, you, yeah, I think the, the magic thing is what's the right amount? Mm. Um, and I mean – I'm sitting here with you with a piece of paper in front of me. So you, sometimes you think, well, you know, I, I'm a fan of emails. I think email is a great form of communication. It mm. can be well-structured. You can delegate well. It's, it's a good form and it works. Yes, um, yeah. Group texts, WhatsApp groups, things like that can be qu- quite simple. So sometimes it can be, well, let's just keep it simple mm. as opposed to always trying to chase that the next thing that's going to be better because mm. then that's another element of change. The staff have got to get their head around. It's another sort of system you've got to implement – I don't know, we, we're sort of starting to think, well, where's the, where's the shift? So we're, we're starting to uh, explore options of maybe, you know, working with some futurist-type thinkers to sort of say, okay, well, in five years' time, are people going to repel from technology and want to get back to more human connection? You know, we're going through QR ordering systems, and all, which is great, and increasing spend per head and um, maximising efficiencies, but will there be venues to go promoting the fact that they are served by people or... You know, what, what are the trends? Yeah. And I don't think it's all about technology. We've still got to remember that hospitality is about being hospitable and there is that craving that I think we all we all missed over COVID that mm. just want to go to the pub and have a chat to a bartender and have a beer and a can of milk. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting that you guys are thinking about that in your level and not like I hear that a lot from fine dining venues and, 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 and that kind of thing. But well, that's really interesting. That's cool. And I think it, especially in a pub element, you don't want to lose that interaction that you can have right a bit yeah. like you do with a barista like i joke all the time that a lot of people know their barista better than they know some people in their yeah. family yeah yeah absolutely. you know because they see him every day yeah <laughs> i gave, gave the exact example in a, in a monthly meeting recently about about the barista experience is that 30 seconds in the morning you know is it really about the coffee or is it just about the you know 30 second chat about the weather and you know have a great day see you later it's that little injection of of energy and human connections so, yeah i mean that's yeah. why we value that you know, going back to our um, purpose. So when we talk about delivering amazing experiences, that's where we kind of benchmark ourselves on. Now, yeah, you could argue it's quite broad, but it's intentionally quite broad. So mm. if the technology we're using can deliver an amazing experience, then we'll pursue it and we'll support it and we'll work with it. But we'll also go, okay, but there are other factors and each customer's got different service needs. We've got to make sure that in the end result, did we achieve our goal, which is to deliver amazing experiences. Mm. So sometimes people might go, I love the fact I can go to a beer garden, I can order off the QR code and my beers just come out while I'm watching the footy. That's an amazing experience. Okay, great, tick. Mm. There's other people that go, I want the sommelier to come in and talk to me about the wine of the month or whatever it might be because that's delivering amazing experience. And we sort of group that all together and go, it's our responsibility to make sure we're not just going one or the other but we're making sure that we've got the right one in the right spot at the right time. Yeah, just got to be blended, doesn't it? Yeah. Kind yeah. of have a cookie, cookie cutter approach, I should say. Are you starting to cross-pollinate staff between states at all at the moment, between the venues? Because the only reason I ask is when I've worked for national brands sort of during my career, like, and even I found it like I moved between states with different brands. Um, 
and there's a benefit in that because even though you don't really think about it all the time, like a Brisbane staff member is going to is going to be different than a Melbourne staff member just by environment and how they're you know in what kind of venue they're in. Like, so there's I think there's great positivity in in moving people between states if they want to be flexible. Like you you guys starting to do that yet? Yeah? yeah, absolutely. So probably a couple couple elements to that like one yes we, we brought a sort of a strike team down to support with the continental opening because there's obviously such yeah. a beast of a thing to, to open yes um um but i guess the, the more important part for us is we actually see it as a really good cultural thing especially to develop our people you might have a bartender that's growing and and we don't want any of our people to feel stifled because there's nowhere to grow within that actual individual venue structure you might be a really good bar supervisor wanting to be a bar manager but there might be a great bar manager within that venue so then they go oh i'm a bit deflated because i'm not going to get that next step so then we can say great we do have a bar manager's position in queensland or in another state so we're going to develop you to, to move move up there yeah um i've also committed to what we're calling the, the kick on academy which is a, a national accredited training program that's almost becoming its its own business so we can put all the staff through accredited training we've got about 128 different accredited courses to do so and that can move between state and state so wow those people that we um see that's got value with us we put them through these you know, professional courses and they can potentially then move move into states we've got to see there's a really big big option for career growth and a lot of that's just trying to be the, a better employer of choice so Johnny comes in for his first casual bartender job and we say, would you like to be a venue manager one day? And he'll say, oh, that'd be great. And then we actually can map out a plan and say, here's how we can help you get there. Wow. Um, and then backed with, with some you know, proper accredited training. How, that, did, how did that come about, if I can ask you? Sorry to cut you off. Watching and learning, like we always, I mean, you know, there's there's some good government incentives and fundies on the way and everyone yep. kind of goes down that RTO plan, which I've, I've done a bit of in the past that I found quite, Challenging, yes. <laughs> yeah, some are, some are good and some are really not good. Yeah, yes. and uh, it takes a lot of time and effort. Mm. Um, so we've partnered with a with a, a national company that kind of handles that sort of on our behalf, and awesome. a lot of it was came talking with their CEO about how they've done it within different industries. Mm. So we sort of started to look at how that works and how that models, and then obviously with us being a national group, the benefits so you're not locked in a state-based RTO and then you get a promotion and you get relocated to another state and then you can't continue the, the two two years of work and you're one year away from getting your Cert for in hospitality management and then you've either got to start it again or yeah, right. or the two RTOs don't recognise. There's a bit of red tape around that that, that we that wanted to work, work through. So it's mm-hmm. um, it's been a bit of work getting up but we're pretty passionate about it. And then inside of that we'll have all the other um, – training like we were supported with the guys from speakeasy group with the anonymous platforms and mm-hmm. then in that will be a uh, emerging leaders program and mentoring program all sort of encapsulated within that kick on mm. academy that we kind of feel pretty passionate about if you're going to attract staff in a challenging staffing market you got to sh- get as many strings in your bow to make it attractive for people to come across yeah i mean it's hard enough to recruit them right now right so to retain them is even more important than recruiting them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely is it a blend of sort of online training and, and sort of in-person training that you're doing in regards with that? And how do you find that's going? Yes, to answer your question, it's tricky because with the online stuff, you kind of ask them to do it in their own time. Mm. Um, but you also want them to have the option. Mm. So uh, we've got some staff that are just smashing online courses because they're just super passionate about you know cocktail making or coffee or 
uh, service, whatever it might be, and you can track it, which is really good. So then when they come in for the next shift, you can say, oh, hey, Michelle, I notice you've watched you know, five videos on barista training. Are you interested in, oh, that'd be great. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you know, she goes away and go, wow, this is amazing. And mm. you know, we've, we've got ourselves a new, you know, uh, restaurant manager. Oh, sorry, um, barista manager. Mm. The accredited stuff, really, the the structure's around two days a month. Um, to, sorry, two hours a month in, in venue mm-hmm. with the external facilitator and then they pick up all the training that we're doing with them. So yep. the goal is eventually to get it where our training programs is good enough where the accreditation just comes in and goes, yep, they're fine and, and away we go and then hopefully we can build that as a, as a sub-brand, if you like, so people can come out of the Kick-On Academy and whether they stay with us, it's great. If they do go somewhere else, hopefully that's seen as a as a positive. Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great initiative. Like, um, I haven't heard of that from many groups. Like to go to that level, mm. and I think that's obviously going to be critical to how you're going to build out this brand and how you're going to grow. Which is sort of my final question to you, Duncan. Like, what are you looking forward to moving forward? Is there any sort of updates on any any venues coming up that we can have a chat about? Because obviously, you guys are doing the fundamentals extremely extremely well, and you're going to grow exponentially. I'd imagine. Yeah, well, I mean, grow is what excites us, but not just in a physical growth. I think growing the growth of our people is is the most rewarding thing. We've had some amazing kids, say with the Conti as an example, that come in super green, never worked a day in their life. Like one kid in particular was, you know, his hands were shaking when he poured his first beer in, in front of Craig and myself. And, you know, he's now a full-time supervisor and just killing yeah, it. Awesome. So, you know, that sort of stuff is you know, really inspires us. Um, the, yeah, there's there's a, a pretty solid pipeline. Nothing I can kind of confirm um, here, but we're sort of seeing some good growth in both Victoria and, and Queensland. So we'll, we're preparing ourselves for some rapid growth, um, which is why we're spending so much time getting our culture and our structure and our purpose and values embedded as much as we can because mm. you can't grow without the right people. And we see that as growing internally but also if we acquire a business with existing staff to make sure we can pull them into our culture really quickly and smoothly and hopefully mm. then that adds to our, adds to the, the growth there. It seems like uh, Victoria and Queensland are definitely the hotspots for this area of the market in regards with new developments coming on board or acquisitions that are happening. They seem to be, yeah, the most the most acquired right now. Yeah, I, th- oh, I think for us we sort of know, we know the market so we feel mm. comfortable. Um uh, you know, we wouldn't rule out Sydney, but I think Sydney, you've got to be respectful. It's a, it's a beast of a business and there's yeah. some pretty very good operators in there that you can't just waltz into their backyard and think you, you know as You're much as the, yeah. the they do. So um, for us, a lot of it will come down to the physical side. Is it a building that we love? Do we think like we can add value to it? Even if it might be the best commercial deal, we could still walk away from it if we don't feel like it connects with what we want to build as a, as a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Duncan, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to the podcast today have obviously learnt a lot, but also might want to come and work for Kick-On Group as it grows, especially with something like the Kick-On Academy. I think that's inspirational to really think about how you, how much you're caring about your team moving forward and how you're going to grow. What's the best way that people can uh, find out a bit more about Kick-On? Yeah, so the best way, you can go straight to the Kick-On website, kickon.com, um, and there's a careers option in there where you can submit some inquiries. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so people can you know contact me direct through through there. And then each each venue, there's a particular venue that that anyone listening is is interested in. Each venue has its own sort of career page through through the website that, mm-hmm. that all, all links together. But yeah, we're certainly looking for some great people to come on board and enjoy the ride with us. 
Beautiful. Um, and as well as, you know, network, like we're, we're feeling some building some really good relationships with other key operators where we're just sharing ideas and I think there's post-COVID a really nice collaboration between I – mean, we don't see a lot of the other guys as competitors as much. It's very much sort of, you know, sharing the, the journey as, as we go. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast. So if you're listening and you want to reach out to Kikon Group or to Duncan, then you can do that. Duncan Thompson, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one, especially as the last season. We've been talking to a lot of people who are running multi-unit businesses, so I hope you are really learning a lot. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. Obviously, we're making this content with the industry in mind, so we really appreciate you sharing along. If you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. It's called Principal Design. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. We're also launching 42 Days, which is all about onboarding staff in the right way. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Aussies love discovering new restaurants and Open Table is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform with more than 1 million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guests booking on Open Table spend 49% more than walk-ins. Open Table's world-class table management technology ensures your seats are optimized front of house to seat more diners, saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. Open Table's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first-time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local Open Table restaurant expert to learn more. Open Table, empowering restaurants to do what they do best.